Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Fantastic. You have your Bibles. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I want you to mark that and then we're going to spend the majority of our time in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we'll spend most of our time, but the anchor verse today is found in Colossians chapter 3, and that'll be the baseline for what we talk about. We are in this series called Make Room. Somebody say, Make Room. How many of you like to have your space? Yes, and you need some real estate. You, you got to have some, some room when you worship God. How many like to worship God and have space to create? Come on, because elbows will be flying. Talk to me. Oh, yeah, you, you, you got to have some room. We have we've talked about throughout the scriptures about the need to create space for God. If you were here three weeks ago, we talked about creating room for God's presence and the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. After that, we talked about making room for others. Remember the man on the mat and the what's up boys and I mean, getting to see Jesus tearing through a roof and you know, all the supernatural things that come from that. And if you were here last week, we talked about growth, making room for growth. We talked about Zacchaeus, the Zac attack. And uh, today I want to talk to you. If, if I could title this message, I want you to write this down. I'll explain it. I'll get back to it. But the title of the message today is simply this. I want to talk to you about a, a man named Bo and the space for grace. Bo, come on, somebody say Bo. Now this is the Louisiana version of the gospel. And all the Cajuns said, uh, Aye. <laughs> I love South Louisiana. I love it. Bo and the space for grace. Colossians 3.13, here's the verse. The Bible tells us, make allowance. Our one translation says, make room. Make room for what? For each other's faults. Ooh. Okay, all right. You know what we're stepping into today, huh? Say, wait a second, Mike, it's much easier to make room for God. But what are you telling me here? Make room for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Somebody say anyone. Not just the ones you want to, but especially the ones you don't want to. Anyone is all inclusive. Can I have a good amen? Let's read this again. Make room for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. How many of you are feeling challenged already? This is a big assignment. Oh, Lord, you are stepping on my toes and we hadn't even got started yet. How in the world do I have the capacity to forgive anyone who's offended me? Jesus says, well, remember, remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Make room for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I want to talk to you about making room in your relationships. I want to talk to you about making space in your heart for forgiveness. I came across these letters that children had written to God. These were prayers that small kids were offering to the Lord, and they wrote them down, and Nan said this. Nan says, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. (laughs) 
How many of you can identify with Nan? Oh, yeah. Larry says this. I love Larry. He's the theologian of all the kids. Larry says, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother and me. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. I mean, sometimes it's easier to love people from a distance. Oh, yes, Lord. And then Denise. I love Denise. Denise says this, dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> come on, how many know Denise is keeping it real, isn't she? Sometimes relationships are hard. Some, sometimes things in a relationship fall apart. Sometimes life gets messy. Come on, talk to me. But I believe forgiveness is the glue that holds a family together. Forgiveness is the bond that will hold friendships in place. How do we make room for each other's faults? Second Samuel chapter 9 gives us the story, and I think it's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story of how we can create margin. You know, your, your heart has to enlarge if you're going to make room for others. Can I have a good amen? I mean, this is not easy. What I'm about to teach you today is not something that can be done in the natural. Okay, I'm going to tell you something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is either totally impossible or it's totally supernatural. You know, we can't do this in our own strength. I'm not going to challenge you to, to try harder. What I am going to point you to is the supernatural grace of God that's been extended to you. And it's only from that place can you create space for somebody else. Are you with me? 2 Samuel chapter 9, let me give you some, some context here. I want to give you a history lesson, okay? I'm going to give you about 30 years in less than three minutes, okay? You, you, you need to know what, we, what we're about to read here is the story of Mephibosheth, okay? Um, and this may be brand new information to some of you. Some of you somewhat know. Others of you, you're dialed in. You know where we're going with this. But just a little context. David, um, he was anointed to be king as just a young boy. He was anointed, but he wasn't yet appointed. I think there's a lesson in there for some of us. Some of you, you have the anointing, but it's just not your time yet. There's still some development. Come on, nod your head if you're with me. David, remember the prophet Samuel had anointed him to be king, but it wasn't quite his time yet. Here he is, this young shepherd boy. He comes out of obscurity. Nobody really knows who he is. His dad doesn't even think he's king material. All of the brothers walk before Samuel, and God says, no, 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 no. But then in the sheep field, how many know God can find you? Listen, there were seven brothers ahead of David, but yet David was the back of the line. How many know God can go to the back of the line to find you? Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost already. David has the anointing, but he has, he has not yet been appointed yet. Until Goliath, and you know the famous story in, in 1 Samuel, I believe it's uh, 16 and 17, where we see Goliath, this champion of the Philistines, and here comes David. And David, when he, when he defeats Goliath, then all of a sudden now David is a household name. And Saul, who is king of the nation of Israel, says, David, now you come stay with me. And it's there in that context that David builds this friendship with Jonathan. David and Jonathan had a covenant friendship, a commitment to one another. The Bible says Saul was so consumed with jealousy over David. The hand of God was on David, and Saul couldn't stand it. And so he tried to kill David time and time again. I'm telling you, some of you, 
the presence of God on you will create jealousy around you. Not everybody's going to celebrate what God does in your life. And yet through the help of Jonathan, David stays one step ahead of death. Because of his friendship with Jonathan, he was able to escape death multiple times. And the Bible goes on to tell us that David lived as a fugitive on the run. Here he had the anointing to be king, but he's hiding in a cave because Saul wants to kill him. Finally, in a battle with the Philistines, both Saul and his son Jonathan are killed. And over a period of time, David then rises into power as king. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 9. The Bible says, one day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, he replied. Then the king asked him, is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he's crippled in both of his feet. Well, where is he, the king asked. He's down in Lodabar. Somebody say Lodabar. He's in Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. Verse 6, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. Now, let me stop right here. Do you see the setting here? David is now in power, and he asks a question, and it's kind of loaded. Is anyone from Saul's family still alive? Now, I told you the history about how Saul despised David, was consumed with jealousy, tried to kill him. And yet, David is asking a question about Saul's family. Are there any descendants left from King Saul and his family? And the answer is nobody, except for one. There's one that remains, one heir to the throne. He's the son of Jonathan, and his name is Mephibosheth. Now, I can't say that a whole lot. That's a tough word to pronounce. I mean, if I say that too much, I might say something I regret. So we're going to call him Bo, Mephibbo, Chef, Mephibbo. Somebody say Bo. All right, you're making my job easier. From here on out, his name is Bo. Bo is the only one left from Saul's family. Now, the Bible says that he's crippled in his feet. Why is Bo crippled? Here's why. I'm not going to turn to the, to the scriptures and, and, and read it, but I want to tell you what the scripture tells us. In 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, the Bible gives us a clue as to why Bo is crippled. When, when King Saul and his son Jonathan died in battle, the Bible tells us that Mephibosheth, Bo's nurse, was so concerned about this child that she in haste, grabs him to protect him. Here's why. Because the custom of that day is, if a king were to die in battle, if he were to be defeated in battle, then all of his family would be killed. All of his sons and grandsons, his extended family. Why? So there would be no living heir to the throne. There would be no threat to the future king. Whoever defeated the current king would kill all of his family. This nurse knew that. So she reaches down to grab Bo and to protect him. But you know what she does? The Bible says she drops him. 
He was five years old at the time, snatches the boy up, and she's trying to hide him and protect him because she knows the threat of death that will come after him. And in doing so, she drops him. I'm going to tell you this. The first thing I want you to know, number one, people will drop you. Come on. People will drop you. You say, well, Mike, I haven't been dropped. Well, you haven't lived long enough. You don't have enough life experience. If you've not been dropped, just wait a little bit. How many of you know we have a fallen nature? And we all fall. She was trying to help him, but she hurt him. Some of you are here today, I want to tell you, and you know what this is like because you've been dropped. Somebody has dropped you. Maybe it was somebody you thought would help you. Oh, come on now. Somebody that you trusted, somebody you thought cared for you, but they dropped you. Maybe you were supposed to get the job, but you got dropped. You were supposed to get the scholarship. You were supposed to have the opportunity. You were supposed to get married, but somebody dropped you. The reality is, in this world in which we live, pain is going to happen at every level, in every relationship. Who was it that dropped him? His nurse. Can I tell you this? Those closest to you can hurt you the most. Why? Because we open up our hearts to them. There's a certain level of trust and vulnerability. And and in doing so, we give them access into places in our lives. We trust them not to hurt us, but guess what? They disappoint us. They drop us. They let us down. I want to take a moment to talk about those that have been hurt in church. How many know church hurt is for real? In fact, the devil loves to create pain in your life in church. Because if he can hurt you in church, he'll keep you out of God's house. Am I talking to anybody today? And I want to say, and I don't want to minimize the pain that you experience in church. In fact, I want to say on behalf of all pastors and all churches, I apologize for the wounds that some of you carry. You know, we we call ourselves here a healing place for a hurting world. We're we're not a, a museum for perfect people. We're a hospital for broken people. And and, and our heart is not to add to your pain. But but I tell you this, sometimes as pastors, we miss it. Sometimes as leaders and staff, we fall short. Sometimes we drop people. We're trying to protect people, trying to help people, but they get dropped along the way. His nurse dropped him. He was crippled in both feet. That that, that tells me this, we got to keep our focus on Jesus. But please don't idolize a man or a person. Don't elevate an individual to the place of God. If you do, you will be disappointed. You see, man may drop you, but God never will. And I'm trying to help some people today. I'm not minimizing your pain, and I'm not trying to excuse what's been done to you. But hear my heart on this. Because if most of your hurt comes through relationships... Most of your healing will come through relationships as well. And the devil knows that. If you've been hurt in church at the hands of spiritual people, you will shy away and say, and you're trying to protect yourself, I'm not going back to that place. I'll never let somebody drop me again. 
And then what happens is you stay outside of the realm of your healing. If most of your pain comes through relationships and some of you carry serious pain, you've been wounded, you've been dropped, you've been taken advantage of, you've been mishandled, God's saying, listen, I can provide some relationships that will heal you. Are you receiving this today? I know this is kind of heavy and it's kind of deep, but I feel like we got to go there because sometimes your pain is deep. Guess what? God's love is deeper. We got to get there. We got to talk about the sensitive stuff, the painful stuff, the stuff nobody wants to talk about. The Bible says that, that Obo was down in a land called Lodabar. Lodabar literally means land of nothing. He's living in a barren land, a wasteland. Lodabar is a place you'd never visit. It's, a, it's not a place you'd stop by. It's not a place, it's not a destination stop you want to go to. There's no cell phone coverage in Lodabar. People aren't calling their travel agents saying, hey, I got a few days vacation. How does Lodabar look this time of year? Lodabar literally means no pasture. Listen, David, Psalm 23, David had green pastures. Bo got no pastures. Uh, Lodabar means no communication. Now hear this, hear this. It literally means no word, no communication. It's a place of silence. Some of you have been dropped and wounded so badly, you just can't even talk about it. It, it hurts to talk about it. You, you don't bring it up anymore. You, you, because when you talk about it, you've got to revisit and relive. Some of you are carrying so much pain. In fact, the silence is as painful as the drop itself. You come to church and you look good on the outside, but it's Lodabar on the inside. Come on, how many know we can dress up the man on the outside and still be barren and empty in our souls? This is where Bo is living. And, and, and the Bible says that for years, as a crippled man, he was living in Lodabar. Bo was the right person, but he was in the wrong place. Why was he the right person? Because he was the descendant of a king. He had royal blood in his veins, but he was living in a place that was barren. Some of you are living in Lodabar. Some of you, you go to work, you pay your bills, you take care of your kids and all your responsibilities, but you're living in Lodabar, and God's saying today, hey, it's time to get out of Lodabar. God, he's talking to some people today, and he's saying, it's time to get out of shame. It's time to get out of rejection. It's time to get out of silence. It's time to get out of fear. You've been living in Lodabar too long. The very word Mephibosheth, his name, it means shameful. His name means Shameful. Think about physically crippled, emotionally barren, living in a land that was despised and rejected. You know, sometimes people put you in Lodabar because they don't know what to do with you. Come on, am I talking to anybody? You've just been the misfit of the family. They don't talk about what happened. They pretend it didn't happen, but they all know what happened. They don't know what to do with you or how to handle you, so they put you in Lodabar and they don't ever expect you to leave. They, they have no intention of you leaving Lodabar, but the Bible says one day the king called. Do you hear the king calling today? Because one word from the king changes everything. 
After years and years of barrenness and brokenness and emptiness and people dropping you, the Bible says David had a question. Is there anyone from Saul's family still alive? Come on, the king calls. Well, you know what? There's this this grandson of his living down in Lodabar, and the Bible says in verse 5, so David sent for him and brought him from maker's home. David sent for him. Can I tell you this? You can't get out of Lodabar by yourself. Some of you like, Mike, I'm desperate to get out of this place of fear, rejection, shame, and insecurity. I don't like living here, but how do I get out? Guess what? The king's got to make a call. And he, he sent for this man named Bo to bring him out of Lodabar. He, Bo had been crippled for so long. He was five years old when it happened, but now he's a grown man. He's a grown man with a five-year-old problem. But a word from the king says, come on. You see, everybody may have forgotten about you, but God knows where you are. People may drop you and disappoint you, but God never will. The king's calling. Look at what it says here, verse 6. When Bo came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Bo replied, I am your servant. Now think about the fear in this moment for old Bo. He's been called by David, the king. He has no idea what awaits him. I think he's anticipating being killed. That was the custom of the day. Why would the king keep anyone like him around? Remember, this guy's grandfather for years tried to kill David. It only makes sense now to take vengeance on your enemies. David says in verse 7, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you. Why? Because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I'll give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, notice what David chooses to remember. Boy, this is good. Now, check this out. Notice what David chooses to remember. He says, I want to be kind to you because of my friendship with Jonathan. He didn't say anything about Saul. Now, I guarantee you he didn't forget about what Saul tried to do to him. But he chose to remember the friendship of Jonathan more than the craziness of Saul. How many know sometimes we we forget things we're supposed to remember and we remember things we should forget? Come on, are you with me? Sometimes, I had this thought today, I had this thought just this morning, you know, in church sometimes we'll receive communion, and, and I love the cup because the cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the blood? That cup is the covenant of the, 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 the New Testament of the love of Jesus, and it, it's a relationship that, that implies, Lord, has, he's, he's sacrificed his life, and that blood that was shed, it washes away sins, and it heals all of our sickness, and, and now it gives us right relationship. And that cup, and I thought, you know, when we drink of the cup, Some people drink to forget, but we drink to remember. When we drink that cup, we remember what Jesus did for us. The second thing I want you to see is this. Number two, you got to focus on what's been done for you and not to you. 
Focus on what's been done for you. David says, hey, I remember my friendship with Jonathan. Uh, I may not be able to forget everything, but I can choose what to remember and move forward in that. Some of us are consumed with what people have done to us instead of focusing on what God has done for us. Are you with me? I'm not saying you can forget how you were treated, but you can shift your focus on what God has done for you more than what people have done to you. If all you think about is what they did to you, you will be held hostage. I'm telling you, you're going to be their prisoner. What happened years ago is still fresh in your mind, and you live it over and over. And God's saying, listen, you may not be able to forget that, but choose to remember what I have done for you. You see, David could have been bitter. Here he is king. He's got power. But what does he use his power to do? Not to curse, but to bless. David remembers the favor of God upon his life. And he says, you know what? I'm going to act out of that place. Are you with me? You know, every Sunday before we preach and teach, we, we, we go through this little saying, and I know some of you can say it by heart, but we always say, hey, I'm here, not because I have to be, but because it's not a me thing. It's just, well, then we say, I'm not what? But I. Now, why do we say I'm not perfect? Because it's the truth. But it's also to remind us that the, whatever people have done to us, guess what? We've made our mistakes along the way too. Sometimes we're always focused on the pain that we've received. We don't think about the pain that we've caused. And I can hold on to what you did to me, but I seem to forget all the craziness that I've said and done. How many know you hadn't always acted right yourself? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking right to you and me. See, this makes the playing field level. You see, I, I don't, sometimes I have these standards that I expect other people to live by. Never mind the fact I don't necessarily live up to my own standards. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Are you catching this today? See, we always want to think about the people that dropped us. What about the fumbles that we've had in our lives? What about the, the words that we said in a moment? We didn't intend to say it, but it just kind of came out. Oh, we'll excuse ourselves, but we'll hold somebody else responsible for what they said, what they did. No, 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 wait. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. You know, we... Your grace for somebody else is directly proportional to your understanding of the grace that God has given you. When you realize that you have been forgiven much, look at the Colossians 3 again. The scripture says, make room, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. What do you choose to remember? You remember that the Lord forgave you. And so that's where you get the ability to forgive somebody else. Are you with me? When you remember how the Lord forgave you, that's the space that you create grace for somebody else. You see, listen, Bo stood before the king, and I can just see in his crippledness, he throws his crutches down, and, he, and, he, and he's preparing to just beg for mercy and he, he places himself at the mercy of the most powerful man. Whatever this man says goes because he's the king. And yet David wasn't trying to pay him back. 
David was trying to bring him back. And that's the difference between mercy and judgment. Your flesh wants to judge and pay somebody back, but the mercy of God says, no, I'm going to bring you back. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Grace cannot be picky. Write that down somewhere. Write that down. Grace cannot be picky. Grace isn't picky. Do you have any picky people in your life? It's funny. I, say, I, I Rachel, I got sh- can I share this, please? You don't know what I'm about to say? So we were in Lit Pizza the other day, okay? Now you know where I'm going. <laughs> this is awesome. I'll tell on myself, too. I will. She's pointing that finger at me. Come on. So we're in Lit Pizza. We're standing in line. Have you ever been to Lit Pizza before? And it's where you can kind of make your own, you know? And so we get up there, and this poor little high school kid behind the counter, I felt sorry for him. Rachel steps up, and, and I could tell she's eyeing the menu, and she's like, I want to I wanna create my own pizza. And he's okay, well, what would you like? How can I get started? And you know, got to choose the crust and then what kind of sauce. And then, so she's kind of doing like some, some half marinara, some half that, that white sauce, whatever that is. And she's really, I mean, this thing is, is, is getting complicated in a hurry. <laughs> And I was feeling for my man, you know, I could see he was sweating, you know, he's asking her a bunch of questions. Now, what was that that you, and so she was going to tell him, talk him through it. And so I just made an announcement. I said, security, we got a complicated order. I'm not embellishing. That was true. That really did happen, didn't it? She's shaking her head. No, girlfriend, you better get right. Now, a couple weeks later, I had a complicated order, too. I did. Wasn't as complicated as that lit pizza, but grace can't be picky, y'all. Listen, you, you can't, the margin for error, you, you cannot create it so small that nobody else can fit in it. Listen, I, I don't always live up to my standards, much less God's standards. So if I need grace in my life, guess what? I got to give grace to somebody else. Look at what it says here, verse 11. The Bible says, and from that time on. One word from the king. Listen, people will drop you. Come on, somebody. People will drop you, but you got to focus on what God has done for you. The Bible says, and from that time on, Obo, he ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Here's how I want to finish this. Many of you saw this, this table and these chairs set up up here, and there's a reason why. This table represents the table of the king. It's it's a place of joy. It's a place of relationship. But this table, I think in this story especially, it represents a place of grace. And David, instead of offering judgment to the family of his enemies, he made room at the table. And I guess my, my challenge to you, this last thought is, you got a table and you need to make room at that table for somebody. Some of you need to create space at the table. Now, Obo, his body was broken and his family was flawed. But David said, from here on out, you're going to eat with me. I, I want you with my family, 
among my sons. Now, now think about this. David had sons. They were strong. They were healthy. They were handsome. Oh, Bo was weak and crippled and bent over. But when you would seat Bo at the table, he looked just like one of David's sons. You know why? Watch this. Oh, this is good now. This is good. Because the table is what covered Bo's crippledness. The table, when you're seated at the table, you can't see my feet. He was crippled in his feet. But when I'm at the table, what is shameful is now covered by grace. Come on, somebody. This is a place of grace. You can't see my crippledness. You look at me right here. Bo looked like one of David's sons. I love that. There was space and a place for Bo at David's table. You see, God had blessed David so much. And when you have everything you need, don't build a higher fence build a longer table oh come on now don't don't build fences to separate yourself from somebody else but make that table longer hey there's room for you right here we'll put you right here by me you'll look like one of us can I tell you God's got you covered the table of grace will cover you you don't have to live in shame you sure don't have to stay in Lodabar because the king says hey come be with me I love it because David himself made a comeback David was a comeback kid. There was a time when David was dropped. Nobody believed in him. Brothers didn't believe in him. Dad didn't believe in him. He had to overcome every obstacle. But guess what? God was for him. And it doesn't matter who comes against you if God is for you. David had made a comeback. And so there's something about a comeback from one comeback kid to another. Hey, Bo, I know what you're feeling like. I know what you're going through. I can identify. Listen, the brokenness in my life, God's healed me from that. And I'm going to tell you this, only broken people can heal broken people. I've been where you are. I know what that feels like. And guess what God's done for me? And there's room for you. Can I have a good amen? Quit building fences. Build a longer table. Who do you need to make room for at your table? Somebody that you've left down in Lodabar and said, I'm done. The guy's like, no, no, no. Offer forgiveness. Don't let hate poison your heart. Hating the people that hurt you only plays right into the devil's hand. But if you'll make room at the table, God says, I'll give you grace. I'll give you space. I'll put favor on you. Amen. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.